0: But for us this morning, we can turn to Genesis chapter 6 again. If you'd like to follow along in your Bibles today, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 6. <clears throat> this week, we're continuing our story of the life of Noah. Um, we, we started looking at the story of Noah and, and his life and the, the famous story of a man and a boat. But we're looking to discover together that there's, there's more to this story than just sort of the Sunday school version that, that we've heard. There's, there's more that this story can say to us than, than just the songs that we would sing about it. It's part of the story, but it's not the whole story. Now, I want to share with you something that I learned this week. Or, or that I noticed this week as I was preparing for, for my sermon this week. And maybe you already know this. Maybe I'll say this to you, and you'll say, yeah, I've known that for years. In which case, great. But for me, it was new. And it was interesting, because I had never noticed this before. But did you realize that, well, the story of Noah is really contained in in three chapters of the Bible. Genesis 6, 7, and 8. And then it kind of concludes in chapter 9. But in those three chapters of scripture with with this famous story of Noah and the ark and and all that this story is, do you know what we don't see? Or rather, we don't hear? In the entire story of Noah, did you know that Noah doesn't speak one word? That if you read through the whole story of Noah, there's not an account of Noah ever saying anything. There's lots of things that God says, but there's never a verse that you're going to read where it says, and then Noah said throughout the entire story of Noah and his ark. We don't read about that. And as I started to think about that, and I started to really, well, why don't we hear God or Noah say anything to God is God is telling him all of this crazy things that he wants him to do. And he goes through this experience inside the ark We don't ever read what Noah's thoughts are. And it got me thinking about this. And and this is at the heart of what I think is important as we walk through the story of Noah and the ark and trying to discover some more depth to this story is the reason why we don't hear from Noah is because this story's not about Noah. This story's about God and what God does through Noah. But the story's not about Noah. See, we can have this tendency as we, as we read through the Bible, and especially in the Old Testament. It's a little less in the New Testament, although we can do it with like Peter and Paul and, and some of these things. <coughs> but we, we can take the people in the stories of the Bible and make them the heroes of the story. The story of David and Goliath. The story of Jonah and the whale. The story of Joshua and the city of Jericho. The the story of Moses and the people being freed from Egypt. And in this story, it's the story of Noah's Ark. And what can happen for us is is that these people become the heroes of the story. And we ask ourselves, what can we learn from Noah? What what can we learn from Noah? Noah. What can we learn from the story of Moses? But the reality is, these these people are not the heroes of these stories. These people, they're the supporting cast. You know, if they're up for an Academy Award, best actor in a supporting role. Because the hero of the story, the main character of the story is God. And so through this story, we're looking for some things in this story to speak to our hearts and lives, but not to say, what can we learn from Noah? <clears throat> as much as we can say, what can we learn about God? And who God is through the story of what God did through Noah. And last week we began our look at the story. The the story that that we're looking at, this account of the story of Noah and the ark and what God did there, the story begins in a really dark place, a deep, dark place. Verse verse 5 of Genesis 6 kind of sums up what we looked at last week, where it will say, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become. On the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. You know, there's there's that thing that we can sometimes do in church where we say God is good, and then people will say all the time, and then we say, and all the time God is good, except in this time it's yeah. You know, the human heart was wicked all the time, and all the time the human heart was wicked. You know, life. Humanity, the state of us, was a mess. And last week we saw that the, the, the God, last week we saw that God saw the immense, reprehensible, ir- <coughs> irredeemable corruption that had spread through the people of the earth. And it was so bad that in Genesis, when it says that literally everything in the world was corrupt, we end up hanging on one of the most telling and heartbreaking verses that we read in all of scripture. As God looks at his creation and he looks at what we've done with it and we come to this place where God says, for I regret that I've made them. What a a state that humanity has ended up in where God looks and he says, I'm sorry I did that. And he makes a decision. Earlier in that that verse, he says this. I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race. I have created, and with them, the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. Sorry, I forgot my cup of water. Oh, thanks, Inca. This whole having a little bit of a cough thing really reveals all the servants' hearts in the church. as people keep bringing me water because I'm choking up here, and somebody's moved with compassion. But the state of humanity is in such a place where God not only says, I'm going to wipe out humanity, I'm going I'm to wipe out everything. The animals, the birds, the whole thing. We're, we're going to start all over again. This creation, this, the, the humanity had been made in the image of God, and then God looks at humanity, and he no longer sees his image. And he says, I need to start again. But God looks, and, and there's one exception made to, to all of this. That there's this man named Noah. And, and somehow, he's found God, and he's clung to God, and he said, I, I'm going to be true to you even when no one else Will be. So, God in his mercy and his love decides to spare Noah and his family. So, last week we read about this decision God makes. And then start, we're going to start in verse 11 this morning, unpacking our scripture today. And we're going to see God come to Noah and say to him, this is, this is my plan. So, starting in verse 11, it will say, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight <clears throat> and was full of violence for god saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people at earth had corruption or had corrupted their ways so god said to noah so god comes to noah and he says i'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them i'm surely going to destroy both, <coughs> both them and the earth what a word from the lord to receive That's not exactly a hi, how you doing? This is God's introduction to Noah. Hi, Noah. Everybody's going to die. That's that's a hard word to receive. He says, I've decided to, to destroy all living creatures for they've filled the earth with violence. I will wipe them out all along the earth. How would you like to receive that word from God? How do you you feel like you would react to the news that the entire world is about to come apart? How would you react when you know that God has shown up and God has spoken to you and what he said to you is I'm going to wipe everybody out. I I don't know about you but I feel like that would be hard to receive. I, I feel like, no matter how sure I was that that was God, maybe I just had some bad burritos last night. You know, that, that can't, you know, that can't, I, I have stuck faithful to God, and what does God do? God comes to me and says, so I'm gonna kill everybody. But God doesn't stop there with Noah. And he begins to unpack for Noah what he's got for him. God says to Noah, verse 14, So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with the pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Now, I'm sure you don't know what a cubit is. Um, you have no reason to know what a cubit is. Um, but uh, that would make it about 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Now, the other day, we were, we were talking, I think we were watching football with my kids, and the idea of a yard and a foot was just so beyond them that they couldn't understand. Wait, what do you mean a foot? How do you measure a foot? How do you measure a yard? Is it our yard that they're talking about? What kind of yard is and it? Was, so... If you think, feet and inches, that's not for me. It's about 135 meters long, 23 meters wide, and 14 meters high. So it's a big boat. It's a big, big boat. Verse 16 will say, Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening, one cubit high and all around. Put a door in the side of the ark, and make lower and middle and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of God in it, everything on earth will perish. So God, God begins to unpack, this is what I'm going to do and, and this is what I need for you to do in response. I'm gonna wipe out humanity, but, but I'm gonna save you. I'm gonna save a remnant and I'm gonna need you to build a boat. And, and God even gives him the specifics of the boat. He doesn't just say, build a big boat. Build a bigger boat. Build the biggest boat you can imagine. He says, these are actually the dimensions of the boat I want you to build. And here's how I want it built. Here's here's the intricate parts of this boat. And and then he begins to, to say to Noah, because this is why I'm telling you this. And In verse 18, he will say this. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter in the ark, and you and your sons, (coughs) and your wife, and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. God, God tells Noah that although his judgment was literally going to come and cover the earth, he's also going to make a special covenant with him. The, the word that he says when, when he says, I will establish my covenant, the word covenant makes essentially is like a solemn agreement. It, it's a promise. A covenant is, is a promise given to, by, from one person to another that, that they are committed to. And, and notice that it's not just Noah's family that's going to be saved, but, but I'm going to save my creation too. We're, we're going to wipe out, I'm going to wipe it out and start again, but there will be a remnant. And as we look at the idea of the flood, and we see God's judgment on creation, what we're presented with is a man who hears what God's word is, this big, wild, over-the-top word from God about what God's going to do and what God wants Noah to do and wants his family to do. And the issue that we're left with is the question, how is Noah going to respond Because in his response, in his stepping out in faith, in his willingness to hear this word from God, of all the words that people have been given over the years, for him to hear this word and to obey what God has called him to do, what hangs in the balance of the question that's presented to Noah is the entire course of human history, the future generations, everything that's going to come after this. If Noah doesn't obey, the entire course of human history has changed. The, the future of his family, the future of us has changed. Now, obviously, in, in a need to sort of like be a storyteller as we move through this, we have to acknowledge that there's a bit of a, a fake tension that we try to create in a moment like this because we know what happens. Either you know the story, you've heard of Noah's Ark, and you know that, or on the chance that you know nothing about this story, that you've never heard of Noah, you know nothing about an ark, this is the first time you've ever been exposed to this story, and what happens? You're probably still not saying to yourself, well, does God wipe out all of humanity? Does mankind cease to exist in this moment? Because you're here right now. So, you know, we can talk about what what is Noah going to do, but the fact that we're here right now is a pretty strong evidence that people continue to exist. Because we're here. And so we can build sort of this fake tension because God obviously doesn't wipe us out if we're here to tell the story. And when the stakes are this high, and, and we read the story, it can seem to be quite easy. Quite, quite obvious to say, well of course he's going to do it. Of course Noah's going to obey. Of course Noah's going to respond in faith. Because if he doesn't, it's all over. That if, if God presents us stakes that are that high, of course we're going to obey him. In the, you know, if, if he doesn't, the story of scripture is very different. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he created mankind in his own image. Then people got really, really wicked. So God asked Noah to build a boat. And Noah said... It's not going to work for me. And so God destroyed people. The end. The whole Bible just got a whole lot shorter. About six chapters. So it's pretty easy for us to say, well, of course Noah obeyed because of the massive implications to his, his disobedience. It's, it's easy to step back and say, well, of course he's going to obey God on that one. He was told, if you don't, everybody dies. But what can happen in our lives if we're not careful? What we can do is look at Noah and, and his decision to obey and say, well, of course It matters if he obeys. Of course it's a big deal for him to walk by faith. But then we can step over here and and look at our own lives and, and say, but I'm not Noah. And my stakes aren't that high. And I honestly don't know if it really does matter whether I obey God or whether I don't, we can look at the decisions that are presented towards us and say, it's no boat. I'm not called to build a boat. I, I don't know that God really, really cares about that. Or, or, the second, or, or, to, or to take a look at the, the things that God has asked us to do and say, I'm pretty sure that if God re- or I'm not really sure that God really needs me to do that. Their level of obedience can be determined by how important I feel what God has asked me to do. And if I'm not sure that it really matters, I'm not really sure if I need to do it. So, of course, if God asked me to do something really, really big like build a boat to save all of humanity, if that was the stakes that were given to me, of course I would follow what God wants for my life. Of course I would. Who wouldn't? Of course I would do that. But this, it's not that. So I don't know that it's really crucial that I need to do what God has asked me to do. But but the really the reality is this our decisions, our obedience to God really does matter. So I guess what I'd ask you today is this. Has the Lord ever impressed upon you something crazy, difficult, and scary on your heart to do? Has the Lord ever revealed something to you that, that you didn't understand? That, that maybe you weren't quite 100% on board with or ready for? Has he ever called you to a work that is so daunting and so much larger in scale that you feel unequipped to handle it? That God, you feel, God has called me to do this, and I got nothing. I don't want to do it. I'm scared to do it. It's too much for me. I know God has called me to do it, but I'm not sure. Or has the Lord ever spoken to you about something seemingly so small that you weren't even sure if it mattered? That God impressed upon your heart to just go say hi to that new person at church. God ever impressed them? Ask to pray for them. You know, something that's seemingly so small that we can go, ah, it's probably not God. How do we react to this call or command? I personally imagine for Noah that in this moment, I I imagine his mind is just blank. We don't read about Noah saying anything because he's just left utterly speechless. That as God comes to to this man and unveils his plan, that as he's just hearing God say all of this, that his only response is... And he's got nothing to say. Like you're talking... You want me to, to do what? But we don't see him argue. We don't see him push back. We don't say, God, that's a big boat. I don't know that I can do that. We don't, we don't hear him tell God, God, that's impossible. God, you've got the wrong guy. We don't see any of that. We we talked earlier, Noah doesn't speak in the whole story. And one of the reasons I think that we don't see Noah speak is, is again because this story isn't about Noah's words. It's about God's words and Noah's response. Well, here is how we read Noah's response to God's words. Verse 22. Noah did everything. Just as God commanded to him. Well done, good and faithful servant. Noah did everything, just just as God commanded him to do. Noah is this this picture of what James would later write in his New Testament letter, where he writes, "What, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, but has no deeds? Can some faith or can that, can such faith save them? See, we read about last week how Noah was faithful to God. And it's one thing for him to be able to say, I have faith in God. But if, if his faith came with no deeds, it's not just a metaphorical, or it's not just a spiritual, can such faith save them? It, it was a very literal, palpable, if I have, if, if Noah has faith but does nothing, he's going to die. If Noah claimed to believe in God and his word, but it didn't motivate him to do anything with that faith, that faith cannot save him. Noah understood that faith and faithfulness are inseparable. If you want to walk in close fellowship with God, as Noah did, we need to understand that to have faith is as crucial to having the faithfulness to live out that faith. Noah teaches us that faith isn't only a state of being, but it's, it's proven when it's lived out. It's a challenge above all that seems reasonable in the world. Now, granted, all the cards out on the table, God may never ask you to build an ark. In fact... I don't believe any of you will be called to build an ark. I can step out in faith and say that. But it's not the size of the task that proves the faith. It's not somehow, well, I would have done that if God had asked me to do that. But it's the willingness of the heart to overcome any objection to obediently do what God has asked us to do. That's what faith means. Not for me to to say, well, if it had been bigger or more significant, but it's whatever God has called us to do. And so the question that hangs before Noah is the, the same question that hangs before each one of us today. What will you do in response to God's word? When God speaks... What will we do? Now, if we look at the events that we've looked at today chronologically, what what we see is that first we see how God warned Noah of the end to come, then he gave him a way out, and he as he told him what would happen. Noah has zero experience with anything like this. He'd never seen rain. He has no concept of what a flood is. He he probably couldn't fathom how big this ark is. What it would be like to have two of every animal on this boat for who knows how long. Eight people and enough provisions to supply for all of them. Noah stands at this moment where, where God says, I'm going to destroy the whole world, and you're filled with fear, and like, oh God, no, not me and my family, and God says, no, not you and your family, but here's what I have for you, so it's not you and your family, and you look and you go, so my choice is death or an ark. Both are Terrifying. So, what is it that God is asking of you today? What has God called you to do? Or another way of asking that question who has God called you to be? What are the big things that seem to have left you in over your head? Struggling to, to keep your head above water. To, to just try and make it through another day. What are the things in your life that you would say, this is? I know this is what God has called me to do, but, but it's not easy. And in fact, it's incredibly difficult. And in fact, I'm not quite sure that I'm going to make it. I'm just trying to get through another day. What are the, the small things that, that maybe you're not really sure matter. That you look at your life and you look at who you are and you look at what God has called you to do and who God has called you to be and you look and you go, there's nothing special about this. I don't know that God needs this. God has not called me to be an ark. God has not called me to be Noah. God has not called me to be anything special. Do I matter? Does it even matter? In all of it, whether it's so big it terrifies us, or it's so small it makes us feel insecure, in all of it we're called to be faithful. And we see Jesus model this heart for us as as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. Even he said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Father, th- this thing, I, I, I will do it because you've asked me to do this. And in Philippians, it will tell us that he was obedient to death, even death on the cross. See, you, you've not been called to be Noah. You're not called to do what Noah did. But you are called to be you. As scary as the significance of that might be. Or as insecure as the perceived insignificance of that may be. You are called to be you. And God needs you to be you. See, we, we read earlier about the specifics that God got into about this boat that Noah was supposed to be built. It's supposed to be built exactly this long and exactly this tall, three decks, and there's supposed to be a door on the side. And he gets into all of the specifics. And we read that God knit you together in your mother's womb. That the same level of intention and and specificity went into you even more so than what went into the art. And so when God created you to be you, he didn't throw you together out of spare parts. He didn't somehow be like, "Ah, oh, I got this little bit of stuff left over here. Let's see if we can make a whole person out of it. Oh, great, thank God, Abe is finished." That's not what God did. Was he knit you together with intention and purpose and made you to be exactly you to fill a role that only you can fulfill? There is a U-shaped hole in this world. And God created you and only you. No one else, no one can do it better. No one can do it with more godliness. No one can do it better than you. The U-shaped hole can only be filled by you. And our only part to play in that is that we say, okay, God, use me. I will step into this brad-shaped hole and trust that you're going to to use me. I I will step into this role that you've called me to fill, and I'm going to trust that you can use me. As big of a task as it may be that it looks and it terrifies me, or... Seemingly as small and insignificant as it may be, and it kind of makes me embarrassed to even maybe sort of admit that this is the hole that I'm supposed to fill. God created you to do what only you can do. You are called to be you, to fill the role that only you can fill. We don't always have to understand God's call in order to be obedient. But God is looking for us to walk out who we are called to be. Trusting that that he knows more than we do. That when he calls us to build a boat, somewhere deep down inside of us, we know how to build a boat. Even if we don't know what a boat is, trusting that his ways are greater than ours. That when he says, When your days of being a boat engineer are over, and I need you to immediately step into zoology, being a zookeeper and keeping animals and people alive, and you didn't know how to do either one of those things? Even though I don't know how to do any of that, God's ways are higher than my ways. And when I'm done building a boat, and now i got to figure out how to keep the lions and the chickens and all of the things apart from each other so that we don't end up with two really full lions and that's it at the end of all of this? God's going to show me how to do that. I'm trusting that he knows more than we do, that his ways are greater than ours, and that he will never lead us astray. That when God created you to be you and gave you the role for you to fill, that as you step into it, and as you fill it, that God's not going to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Not you. Because he made you to be you. And as you walk out being you, God's going to say, that's it. That's it. As as we as we do what Noah said, where it said, and the Lord, Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. As we step out in being me, and I do all that God has commanded me, big, small, whatever, that God's going to see us through it. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for every life that's represented here. For, for those who are here, for those who aren't here this morning, God, I thank you that when you made each one here, when you made each one of us that you're here or not, but God, when you made us, God, you made us us. And God, there's not one life that's represented here that's defined by a mistake in your in your construction of them. There's not one here that's inadequate. There's not one here that is somehow not able to do, that is not good enough, that's not strong enough, that's not brave enough, that's not holy enough, that's not righteous enough, that's not good enough to be who you've called them to be. God, I thank you that each one here was created with a purpose. And God, as we read through this story of Noah and we read through this story of this incredible purpose, this incredible responsibility, this over-the-top, filled-with-wildness story of this man who believed you, God, I thank you that there's nothing more special about Noah than there is about each one of us. And God, I thank you that as each one of us walks out who we have been called and created to be, God, I thank you that you don't look at us and say, well, that's not Noah. But God, I thank you that as we are who we've been created to be, Father, I thank you that you look at us and your heart is filled with such joy as your children do what's commanded them. And so God, that's my prayer for each one of us today. That we wouldn't look at what we've been called to and see it's too big. And we wouldn't look at what we've been called to and say, it's too small. But God, that each one of us would be able to walk in the calling that's been given to us. God, I pray that we, when presented, would build our ark. Little teeny tiny arks Gigantic arcs. But God, may we do what's been commanded to us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Rain, rain on my face. Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family. And that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca. Or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on Contact Us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on Our Pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go. my eyes and dry the stream still flowing, casting down all ways and sin and guilt that over yeah.